You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome to the Health Hub on Radio Maria Canada, exploring cutting-edge health and wellness information and therapies, helping you to take your health to the next level. I am your host, Kathy Biasse, and I am an holistic nutritionist and a professional cancer coach. On this show, we're talking about weight loss, and a straight line to losing weight just doesn't exist. There is a myriad of things to consider when putting together a comprehensive and successful weight loss plan, eating habits, sleep habits, stress management, unhealthy relationships with foods. These are just a few of the things that really do need to be considered, as well as this topic of motivation. Why do some people seem to have it? How come I lack it? These are questions that often come up in the diet space. With us today is certified wellness coach, fitness expert, and author David Greenwald, a husband, father, former police officer, gym owner, competitive state-level bodybuilder, and powerlifter. In 1997, at the age of 32 and a body weight of 235 pounds, David discovered an evidence-based approach for getting off his own 50 excess pounds, and keeping it off for over 25 years and counting. Since 1999, through his company, Leanness Lifestyle University, David has been helping student members from every walk of life get the truth and strategies to lose excess fat one more time for the last time. David is a terrific talker. You're going to really enjoy his his method of speaking. You're going to enjoy all the content we talk about, why the adage calories in, calories out is no longer a complete picture for weight loss. Maybe it never has been. Why eating real food is key for achieving weight loss goals and how we can drive our willpower by really digging down to find our why power. Great show up ahead. Please stay with us. We'll be back in just a few minutes to talk with David Greenwald. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Today's show has been recorded, so no opportunity for calling in. We would love for you to follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on all locations. David, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You've been on an interesting journey, um, quite a CV backing you up. Tell us why it was the the gentle age of 32 that you got this aha moment and really changed your trajectory as far as your own health and and obviously the health of the people that you inspire. Yeah, absolutely. 
So don't ask me why, but somewhere in my DNA. <laughs> why, why, why? <laughs> right. So somewhere in my DNA exists this gene that's been interested in fitness since I was a little boy. I mean, I, I wanted the President's Council on Physical Fitness Award when I was in grade school and got it a couple of times. And it really meant a lot to me. And I have no idea why, but I was- Is that that award where you do like a whole bunch of different exercises and you get ranked? Yes. 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 Okay. It, we have that have too. To, there's a minimal you know, threshold for each of them. And if yep. you pass all of them, then you get this patch Stressful. and sticker. Yeah. And certificate. And I still have those. So, um, but as I, as, as I grew older, around my senior year of high school, um, a friend invited me to start training in bodybuilding with him. So I did and really just, uh, you know, fell in love with that, got into competitive bodybuilding and powerlifting in my 20s and 30s. At that time, I was a Illinois state trooper and I was running a company. Um, that uh, was related to dietary supplements. I don't run that company. I don't have that company anymore. I don't sell any supplements. So I like to say that, but I was running that company and I had started it from a little room in my house in my, uh, in my, in my late twenties. And, um, and I grew up from that little room in the house to about 7 million in revenue and about 45 employees over a period of five or six years. So it really grew into something quite unexpected. And I only say that because with that, I had tens of thousands of customers and the internet was just coming in. And again, I had done bodybuilding and powerlifting. And as a part of powerlifting, um, the idea is to get, you know, big and strong. Well, I'm, I'm only 5'10 and I had gotten to 235 pounds. So now I'm, you know, what you had said, you know, I'm in that early thirties area. The internet's just coming in. I'm an Illinois state trooper. I'm running the supplement. I'm the supplement company that I started and um, I, on one particular evening after powerlifting for about 10 years, um, I remember watching TV out the bottom of my feet, meaning I was laying on my back on the couch and I was watching TV and the TV was past my feet. And I remember looking down and I'm laying on my back almost flat and my belly was still sticking up, you know, quite a lot. And I thought, oh, David, 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 you know, it's, you know, you've kind of gone from, you wanted to get big and strong powerlifter to, you know, that pound bag of M&Ms before, you know, as a pre-workout is probably unnecessary. And so I decided that it was time to, you know, reel it in and get to a healthier weight again. And so I did, and I did another bodybuilding show. And from that, I came at it different than I had done it in the past. I came at it from, I really wanted to come at it from an evidence-based perspective. Um, Owning that supplement company, I had done a monthly newsletter. And with that, I, I would always go and read the research and then write about the research regarding supplements and health and fitness. So I really wanted to come at this show and, and get lean with an evidence-based approach instead of just folklore and, you know, tales and things that just didn't make any sense, but that are just kind of passed down and handed down, you know? So I did. And um, I was 32 at that time. I lost uh, 50 pounds and I have maintained that 50 pound loss for 25 years now and counting. Well, congratulations. You know, when you're this idea of bodybuilding and building, you know, excessive muscle and so forth, how did you find that you got into this excessive weight category that, you know, we're lifting weights, we're trying to build this lean muscle mass. Where was this, you know, the, the disconnect between your body image and what you were doing? So for me, I, I wouldn't say that I'm 
someone who is classic um, struggling to. I, I am not my. I am not my. Well, let me say this. In one way, I am very much my average client, and in another way, I would say I am not my average client. When I was really heavy, I wanted to be heavy for powerlifting, and you know, I got to the point where I could squat six hundred pounds, bench bench almost four hundred, deadlift almost six hundred pounds. So I'd gotten quite strong. I was a state level uh, competitor, not national or or world or anything, but state level. And so for me, it wasn't wasn't as much a disconnect as it was get big, get strong. But I just had gotten to the point where I was just tired of that. And I also was at the point where I was just no longer okay with being the size I was. So with that realization, you know, like I say, I can still picture, picture it in my mind when I was watching TV and saw my belly, I just said, that's enough. Um, and that's when I, again, applied that evidence-based approach, came at it that way. Then I wrote about that. I wrote a book created the program uh, that I work with clients with now in 1999. So I, I say that in a lot of ways, in that way, I should say, I'm not my, my average client who has struggled a long time to um, get the excess weight off and keep it off. But in another way, I am very much my average client because I have, I always say this, I have no uh, genetic advantage for getting lean and staying lean. My body, if I don't do the same things I recommend for my clients, if I really don't do that, if I don't walk the walk, I can blow up and get very large, quite fat, very easily. And so in that way, you know, I would say I'm very much, you know, um, like the average person who is struggling. And that's a, that's a good thing because as a coach, I know what it takes. I know what I have to do. I know what's necessary. And I'm not gifted. I would say I'm not gifted for leanness. So, you know, a little different for me because of this whole bodybuilding, powerlifting, fitness-oriented mindset, but also the same because I have no gifts for being lean. You know, there's so many things that I can take away from that. You know, it, did you have a moment in time? Because I think, you know, a lot, there are some myths that we need to debunk here. There are some approaches to eating that maybe we could we could touch upon in your own journey. Now, when you were lifting weights um, and trying to get big, what was the nutrition plan like for that? Were you following a, a very healthy nutrition plan or was it eat, eat, eat to get big, big, big? You know, what you just said in the latter part there, as a power lifter, not as a bodybuilder, as a power lifter, it was eat, eat, eat to get big, big, big. Yeah, it, it was, you know, uh, there were a tremendous number of ultra processed foods, uh, calorie dense uh, foods. And of course, there was a substantial amount of, of, you know, a variety of what would be called real food proteins and carbs and, and fats and things. But there was a lot of processed food in there as well. Like I said, I, I somewhat jokingly say that, you know, that pound bag of M&Ms as a pre-workout wasn't necessary. It might not have been a pound bag of M&Ms, but that type of thing to have the calories be at the level um, that I needed to have them to be 235 pounds, there was a lot of processed food going on there. Is it 
calories in, calories out. I mean, we still to this, I mean, I'm asking this question because I know the answer. Um, mm-hmm. But to this day, I will still hear because I, you know, I'm, I, I see the workout space. Um, I'm involved in the workout space. I'm involved in the nutrition space. I still hear if you want to get big, you got to eat. And that's the end of it. A calorie in versus calorie out for weight loss. And still to this day, we don't pay, in my humble opinion, enough respect to the type of calorie. And you'll have people going to say, well, calorie is simply a a, a unit of energy. But in your research, in your dealing with people, to me, this is the biggest thing. Is it true that a calorie in, calorie out can achieve what you want to achieve, whether it's gaining weight or losing weight? Um, well, a calorie is not a calorie. Um, and, you know, it used to be thought and for decades that a calorie was a calorie, just as long as you maintained uh, the total number, you know, total amount of energy input, um, right. then, then it just didn't matter. If you had a thousand calories of butter, it's the same thing as a thousand calories of chicken breast, you know, and that is not the case or a thousand calories of probably better stated a thousand calories of of, uh, you know, Lucky Charms is the same thing as a thousand calories of broccoli. No, it's not. And the research now is finally starting to catch up with uh, what I saw. You know, I've been online working with people just online virtually for 23 years. And early on, I, you know, I, I'm an avid reader of peer-reviewed published research. And I remember reading this going, a calorie is a calorie. As long as you maintain the calorie um, amount, then it, it doesn't matter. And I just remember shaking my head going, gosh, in the real world, working with real people, boots on the ground, I don't see that. I see an advantage for people who are eating real food, and I can you know, define that so we know what we're talking about. And I see a disadvantage for the people who are trying to just do, uh, there, was a, there was something that was, it's not as popular now, but it's still out there. And it's something called, if it fits your macros. And I don't know if you've heard that or not, but mm-hmm. if, if it fits your macros basically says, and I'm not saying that they promote unhealthy eating. I'm not saying they promote, you know, uh, everybody is eat a bunch of ultra processed food, but the message kind of is interpreted by people in the, if it fits your macros uh, genre, that as long as calories, carbs, proteins, and fats are where they need to be for you, it doesn't matter. And I just did not find that in, in my practice with real people. I found, I could, as I said, advantages for people who ate more real food, disadvantages for people who ate more ultra processed food, even if calories were the same, even if the macros were the same. So with regard to that, no, a calorie is not a calorie. Was this the biggest stumbling point you found with your clients? Was changing up the nutrition plan or is there another... Um, big piece of the puzzle that, that you found was just um, something that had to be dealt with pretty much across the spectrum of clients when they're trying to, and then we're talking about getting healthy, right? Uh, right. Which can mean losing weight. It can mean gaining weight. Um, what are the commonalities you see with people who struggle? So I'll say this, this is a kind of a macro view of, you know, it's a collective view I'm uh, very much against a reductionist kind of view, a, mm-hmm. you know, single bullet kind of, of view um, where we assign too much priority, too much worth or value to a, a single thing. But with that in mind, 
what I'll say is, I need to say something about the calories in, calories out. So a calorie is not a calorie. However, the math with regard to energy input, energy expenditure can be estimated quite closely uh, from a mathematical equation for someone, you know, for example, you know, Kathy, I'll just say, I'm just saying your name. I have no, you know, whatever. It's not about somebody needs to lose weight or not, but just, just because you're in front of me and I've got your name. If Kathy, whatever height, whatever weight, whatever, Kathy wanted to lose 10 pounds of fat, we could estimate quite closely how many calories a day Kathy is going to need or anybody. I'm just, I'll quit using your name because That's it fine. doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, it's just anybody um, we can estimate quite closely how many calories they're going to need based on their, um, their output. And over a period of, say, six weeks, we're going to hit it really close. If, if the behaviors are consistent to actually take in the amount we have calculated. So it's kind of like, it's kind of odd, but a calorie is not a calorie because the benefits of real food over ultra processed food are tremendous and, and numerous. Um, and there is an advantage. You can actually consume a few more calories with real food than you can ultra processed food. But even so, the laws of thermodynamics and the math on paper will hold almost, you know, invariably quite true. But it's if we can get the boots on the ground, real world behaviors to stay consistent to have the energy input and the energy output to match, you know, the math that we've put on paper. So no calorie is not a calorie, but I, I say it this way. Calories are king, but they're not the only thing. Calories are king, but they are not the only thing. People say, well, calories don't matter. Yes, they do. In fact, calories are king, but they're not the only thing. There are a number of other factors that come in. So it was a, that was kind of the, intro to answering actually your question, which is what is it that is the biggest kind of nemesis of, of people who are struggling to win this, you know, in a permanent way, which in our view, it's the only way to approach this. No one wants to lose the excess and regain it unless they're, you know, getting ready for, again, a bodybuilding show, or if someone mm -hmm. is a gymnast or someone, it's something, uh, you know, a, a wrestler or somebody that needs to make weight for something that may be different. They may want to get down to a certain weight and then come back up. But otherwise, the everyday person, which is who I work with the most from every walk of life, wants to lose it, the excess that is, get to the healthier, leaner place, and they want to live there. And here's, so here's the collective, the big thing. All things that promote all of the obesogenic factors that promote the excess consumption of ultra-processed food, including the fact that ultra-processed food is addictive itself, all of those factors collectively are the single greatest factors that are impacting obesity and the reason that people struggle to either get weight loss or keep it off. As much as we want that single bullet um, I totally agree with you. When I work and work, weight loss is really not the area that is my specialty, but I approach weight loss from a mental attitude, from a lifestyle attitude, and from a nutrition piece. And I don't think, uh, you know, someone will come in and say, it's my hormones blocking me, or it's, it's this, that, or the other. 
But I think that in order to have, you know, to avoid this yo-yo dieting, to avoid this up and down with uh, gaining and losing weight, you do have to maybe right out of the shoot say, this is not a, a single bullet that we have to um, discharge. This is a lifestyle thing. And I think this is where you're, you're hitting pay dirt here is because you have to change the outlook. I think you have to change the mentality and this can be difficult. Uh, before we go to break, I have a question for you. Uh, you know, we talk about um, lean muscle mass and losing weight and, I, I, you know, statistically, there are more women in the camp that want to lose weight than men. And there are a lot of women hung up on this last 10 pounds. Uh, as we age, should our, not our outlook, but should our perception of weight change? Um, I think the body is a beautiful thing. I think that, you know, as we age, certain dynamic processes happen. Um, and, and maybe there comes a point where we need to let go of certain ideologies. Uh, if, if you know what I'm saying, like maybe that extra 10 pounds when you're 55 or 60, if you're at a decent weight, shouldn't be the concern. Have you seen that? Am I off base with that at all? No, I, I don't think so. I would, I would, I would say it this way. Um, I think you're, 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 we're in agreement, um, but I want to make sure that I kind of define, you know, that the the span that, that we may be talking about. So this isn't a perfect measure of kind of general leanness or fatness, however you want to say it. But body mass index is a calculation where I'll just give the calculation that anybody should remember because you can just Google what's my BMI, what's my body mass index, and you can find out what your BMI is. But the, it just so, so people know that it is a calculation. It is you know, in the United States anyway, it would be weight in pounds divided by height in inches squared times 703. All right, fine. This calculation, who cares? But I just want to say it because it is a calculation used in medicine and science and health to stratify and help identify kind of where, where people are. So with regard to that, those extra 10 pounds, I promise I'm going to get that. So if you're considered to be at a quote, normal healthy weight, if your body mass index, your BMI, is between 18.5 and 24.9. All right, if you look up your BMI, it'll tell you what it is based on that calculation I just gave. You are overweight if your BMI is 25 to 29.9. You're obese if your BMI is 30 and above. And then there are classifications of obesity, class one, class two, class three, um, that are you know, higher levels you know, above 30. And so what I would say is, you know, regardless of age, but I would say in agreement with you, especially if you are in, you know, kind of middle-aged um, or, or later, do you need to be under, you know, have your BMI under 25 to be okay, to be healthy, to feel and do and have and be just all the things that you want to be able to go and do um, and to hit every you know, metric that can be measured, you know, every biomarker, you know, everything from blood pressure to fasting glucose to HDL to triglycerides and so on. Can we hit all those numbers and be incredibly healthy and fit if our BMI is 25, 26, 27? Yes. Unequivocally, yes. If we're doing the behaviors that support it. Um, absolutely. Now, that 10 pounds thing and kind of just uh, kind of an acceptance, let's say we're just going to go into acceptance mode at, at any weight, um, whatever a person does, there's no judgment for me um, mm -hmm. at all. 
there's no, every person has an inalienable, inalienable right to their humanity and deserves respect and love and all the things that they're just trying to be, in my opinion, um, just trying to be a decent, good person in society, regardless of size or anything else. But I am concerned if someone is obese. Mm-hmm. BMI as defined, not an adjective, as defined by that BMI of 30 or greater. And the reason that I really cut it, cut, started there as a real concern is because the research, again, the body of evidence, the totality of the research is very strong that once we get to the obesity classes, um, our risk of non-communicable diseases, cardiovascular disease risk, diabetes, cancers, autoimmune disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver, and so on, um, goes up tremendously. And Mm -hmm. the higher the obesity class, the worse it is. Health span worsens, lifespan worsens, um, functionality uh, often worsens. It's not uniform. It's not 100% across the board. But if we were looking at a million people and we were seeing, you know, some, you know, this million people had a BMI of 30 or greater, there are going to be increased risks that are concerning to me and are not at that level. When someone's at that level of obesity or of overweightness, at that point, it then becomes something where obviously personal choice, do your thing. But I, as a health coach, will be concerned for you because of those increased risks where I wouldn't want someone to say, eh, you know, I, if I could wave a magic wand is what I mean. I wouldn't want someone to say, eh, you know, another 10 or 15 pounds won't hurt. Fair you, enough. You're, in a, you're in a class where it likely is going to hurt eventually, even if it hasn't now. But again, going back to, do you have to have that quote unquote, perfect, healthy sub 25 BMI to be okay? No. And especially, and that's why I'm very much in agreement with what you, uh, you started this with, very much in agreement, being late 50s myself and having a very you know, intimate understanding and working with so many clients that are north of 40 and north of 60 now, I don't see the advantage. I can't give you an evidence-based strong advantage to being there unless it's just a personal goal you have. You say, I just feel better when, my, when I'm in this weight range. I just think I look better. I think I feel better. I just mentally, I just energy, blah, blah, blah. I feel better in my own skin or whatever when my BMI is here. Which is, which is fine. Right. And and that's, as you said, your own personal decision, David, we're going to take a quick break right now. We're going to come back and pick this up because I really want to talk about motivation here. And I think we're, we're ending up on this plateau where we can jump right into that conversation. So everybody will be back in just a couple of minutes. You are listening to The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're having a terrific conversation here with David Greenwald. David, um... To continue on, uh, I think we can follow along and continue with the same motif, but expand on it. Um, it's the new year. Well, it's the beginning of the year. It's in January right now. This probably air in February, but early on in the year. And, you know, people set New Year's resolutions. 
Uh, I was reading that about 38% of adults um, try or do set New Year's resolutions. And the top three resolutions are all within the health space, eating better, exercising more, losing weight. And about 23% of those people quit the first week and only 36% make it past the first month. So here, you know, we set great goals. We know what's important. Uh, we may even know how to exercise. We may even know, and I want to run into a lot of these people. I know what exercises I need to do. I absolutely know how to eat healthy. Is this all a picture of an unmotivated group of people in your estimation? No. It's not, and you know, I think one of the one of the biggest myths is um, kind of a a belief by most people. See, we all eat, we all move, and because we all eat, and because there's tremendous amount of stuff in this, everything from social media to regular media to print, television, you name it, and just life experience, there is a belief at a certain level for a lot of people, not all, that they, they know what to do. They just need to do it. I know what eating healthy is. I know that I need to move more. And I, so I know what to do and I just need to do it. In our obesogenic society with so many external and in, internal factors driving the excess consumption of ultra processed food and of course, energy intake from that, with that being the case, what I'm going to suggest strongly is people don't know what to do, so they can't just do it. And they're not, you know, lacking necessarily in motivation, but they may be lacking in why power. So let's just, let's say, because one of the things we do, you know, with, with my program working with people is we make sure we educate them on what's real with regard to food? What's real with regard to nutrition overall? Um, what is, you know, I don't look at, at food as good or bad, healthy or unhealthy. I look at it as two things. Is it real food and does it work for you? And so we, we establish all of this knowledge and make sure they really have it. So instead of assuming they know what to do and they just need to do it, we're going to make sure they know what to do nutritionally. All right, let's say that happens. We've got that. They now know it. If I asked, I was to quiz them and say, do you know what to eat? You know, and they, they're able to, you know, reflect back and tell me, and I'm happy with the answers. All right. They've got the nutrition on movement. You know, we can teach them what they need to know about exercise for health in about an hour. And I used to say, you know, we can teach them what you need to know about nutrition for health in about an hour. So let's say those things are in place. So let's say those are the mechanics of energy expenditure and energy intake, you know, calories in calories out. So that for that part, they quote, know what to do. Now they just need to do it. Well, anytime we have just in the phrasing for weight management, we're in trouble because we've reduced it down to an oversimplification. And um, so there are three other major components, major areas that need to be addressed that we do with our, with our clients. And that is driving willpower through why power. So one of them is that driving willpower through why power. Here's the thing. If I was to ask your audience who works for someone else, how often are you late for work? The answer would be almost never or never. I've polled my clients for years now on this, and that's the answer almost every single time. For your audience who may have ch uh, children still living at home, who they have to pick up at school, when was the last time you had a child who depended on you to need to be picked up from soccer practice or school and you just blew it off because you weren't in the mood? The answer is never or almost never. Or, oh my God, I did one time, I was late for you know 10 minutes and I, I still feel bad about it and it was five years ago. 
It just almost doesn't happen. Well, going to work every day on time requires willpower. Picking up your child you know, on time every day, what, whatever it takes, whatever their needs are, that requires willpower. You know, willpower is just kind of my working definition is doing what needs to be done when it needs to be done, whether you feel like it or not. So for whether it's going to work or picking up the kids or anything that you've ever achieved in your life that's been hard, it's been why power that's been driving it. When the why is strong enough, we find a way. And when it's not, we find an excuse every single time that's universal for us all. So people aren't lacking willpower when it comes to weight management, but they are underestimating the why that they're going to need to create and define and drill down into to get to the heart of the matter for what's really driving them to want to lose 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds or whatever. Because if you come at this from the start and I ask you, why do you want to lose 30 pounds? And they say, I just want to feel better. That's probably not going to be enough. Now, again, nothing's uniform across the board for a few people that will be enough. But for others, we're going to have to drill down and figure out what's really driving this desire to um, achieve the goal. Because if we get the why strong enough, then why power drives willpower. When that's the case, uh, people will persist. Even if they're doing the wrong things, they will persist to figure out what the right things are. So we've got to have why power driving willpower. So that's kind of leg number one. And I'll pause there in case you have a question about that one. Strengthening the why power. Um, so we talked, you know, you talked about picking up the children, uh, getting to work. There's also an accountability um, piece in there with those two scenarios. Um, being accountable to ourselves, I find probably isn't enough. Is it important to be, uh, who can we, how can we introduce that, that piece of accountability to really drive in that why? Is it with a coach? Um, a, a coach definitely can add a, uh, add a level of accountability, no doubt about it. And it can be um, a, a really important factor. Here's what I have found with regard to accountability, again, pretty universally. In areas where we're not all that naturally acclimated, in areas that we aren't all that naturally proficient, it's not something kind of hardwired in us where we don't need anybody to tell us to do it. Things that we just aren't that great at naturally, um, we all do better with an accountability partner. We just do. Someone to help us, someone who cares about us, who, uh, who wants the best for us and can help us kind of honor ourselves, can help us be accountable to our own goals and missions. Um, it's not somebody who's going to be a whip holder. It's not somebody who, you know, is your warden, um, but someone who can help, you know, remind that the goal is important, that, you know, you wanted it for this reason and this reason and this reason, and can be, you know, a bit of a cheerleader, but again, um, just kind of making sure that we are being accountable to ourselves. So that, that is a, that is a, uh, you know, a success factor. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now you can go ahead with the rest of your motivation. Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, and the thing is with regard to whether it's work or kids or, or weight management, there's, here's the thing. It's still why power oriented, even over in that case, even over accountability, because what you do is you go, why do you go to work on time every time? Why do you go to work on time when you're sick? Why do you go out of work on time and you're not in the mood? You just had an argument with your spouse you had this happen, that happened, you are absolutely not in the mood and you still go and you're still on time because the why, all of the benefits, all of the reasons for going 
your why for going to work on time and being and being consistent, being a good employee is incredibly strong. Same for the kids, incredibly strong, all the why supporting that. So the same is for weight management. Another thing that's very undervalued that we work a lot with our clients on is understanding that there is a real difference between real food and ultra processed food. And ultra processed food can be highly addictive. There's this message that's been out for over 50 years, Kathy, that is just all things in moderation. You know, all you got to do is just eat less and exercise more, all things in moderation. Nothing's off limits ever for anybody, mm -hmm. ever. Um, and while I'm generally for uh, moderation, what I say is all things in moderation, including moderation, meaning that sometimes for some people in certain circumstances with certain ultra processed foods, because no one's addicted to chicken breast and broccoli, that's real mm -hmm. food. No one's addicted to that. If there's an addiction, they're addicted to ultra processed foods. Um, when that's the case, sometimes zero is better than one. Sometimes zero is better than one. Not I'm not saying for life. I am not saying to people, you can never have any, anything that tastes good ever again. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that even if that's the case, that it's necessarily 100% across the board for even that one ultra processed food item. But we have to look at that and we have to see if there's a compulsive overeating aspect, compulsive uh, basically being defined as an irrational behavior in that it's a behavior done despite negative consequences. So if you find yourself continually going back to some ultra processed food as a way to relieve stress, relieve anxiety, zone out, um, to you know, get some kind of relief, to change your mental state, then we may need to look at that. And again, sometimes zero is better than one. Sometimes we need to go to none on that um, to win it. Now, again, not uniform. Every person is different. You've got to meet each person where they are. But so many programs, so many people the dietetics industry as a whole, the public health communication uh, entities as a whole at the government level and, 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 uh, and uh, uh, professor level, they're still teaching moderation in all things, you know, nothing's, nothing's off limits. And I find that that's an incredible disservice and really sets a lot of people back because what they do is they continue to try to moderate a trigger food and it's like trying to moderate alcohol if you're an alcoholic or it's trying to moderate nicotine, you know, cigarettes if you're uh, addicted to nicotine or trying to moderate crack cocaine if you're addicted to crack. You oftentimes can't moderate it and sometimes zero is better than one. So uh, that addiction aspect of ultra processed food is another factor that is really important to understand, work with someone who does understand it and can work with someone that can help you uh, develop your personal plan so that you are not continually consuming something that is triggering, triggering you to want more and more and more and more. So that'd be kind of the second big leg besides nutrition and exercise. The, and, and that is a very, um, can be a very, very slippery slope to go down for some people. And when you work with people, are you like qualified to work with the emotional aspects of eating. You know, I want to lead in here to, to your program and what you do. Um, and we're talking about, you know, not change just on, on lifting heavier weights, as you said, and, and eating, you know, you know, less processed food and more, more vegetables and chicken. There, there could be a whole other deeper dive component here. In your program, are you able to work with people that may have an addiction to food? Um, for various reasons. 
Yes. Now, what I always say is that I'm not a therapist and I'm not trying to treat or cure any disease, but it doesn't mean we can't talk and it doesn't mean that um, we can't provide a foundation, um, you know, a framework of sorts mm -hmm. that is based in the um, addiction space, you know, food addiction space and so forth. And we do. So, um, yes, we do have a, you know, a, a plan. We do have processes that can help the person who is more of a compulsive reader who may have some addiction issues to ultra processed food. Again, they won't be addicted to real food. We need to separate that out because one of the things in dietetics they'll say is you, there's no such thing as food addiction. <laughs> well, their, their yeah, problem is that- That's a they, science now, it is. Yeah, so they're, yeah, so they're like, so they say there's no such thing as food addiction, but the, the problem with them is they're lumping everything as food. I don't, mm -hmm. um, I separate it, real food, ultra processed food. So no, we're not addicted to real food. Um, it's the ultra processed food. So yes, we do work with people, you know, every single day, um, a higher percentage of people who are struggling and have struggled for a long time, regardless of the amount of weight they lose, will likely have some form of triggered eating aspect, addictive aspect that will need to be addressed to really win this once and for all. Um, and it can be won once and for all, but that's usually a factor that has to be addressed where in most spaces and places, they don't touch on it at all. And we're, talking like, we're talking extreme here, right? I mean, uh, people are going to have a rough day and come home and have, uh, you know, some ice cream. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, it's, it's, it's when it goes off the ropes a little bit. And for me, um, you know, I look at you as a health coach. I think sometimes prodding someone to look for answers, giving them questions to ask can be one of the biggest things that you can do to help people. Um, because oftentimes there are a whole bunch of things that need to be done in order to, we're talking about making a shift, right? You don't want yo-yo dieting. You're talking about a life right. shift. So I, I think what your program offers is a really solid platform. And I think this is the way it should be approached for everybody. You don't go in there and say, I need to lose 10 pounds. You need to go in there and say, how do I change certain things I do so that I'm at the weight I need to be at? That That's my approach with people. How do you stand on that? Well, yes. I mean, it's each person is different. And it's I always say your goal is my goal as long as your goal is healthy. And what I what I mean by that is as long as, you know, for example, I do from time to time get somebody who's of a weight that is already quite healthy as far as BMI, and they want to get to a weight. I don't get this very often, but I'll get somebody that has uh, probably some body dysmorphia going on, and they want to get to a weight that is underweight, that is quite unhealthy underweight. In that point, I'm going to, you know, uh, softly, um, compassionately try to refer them to uh, more of a professional in the psychotherapy right. space because I want them to get the help they need because there's a there's a body dysmorphia issue there. But otherwise, you know, your goal is, is my goal. You know, there's a, there's a sentiment that, you know, even if let's just say that it's to somebody just using the example you gave, someone comes home and just has, you know, you know, a little bit of ice cream after work because they, they, they want to do that. Um, do I have any problem with that? Not if they are at the weight they want to be or progressing toward the weight mm -hmm. they want to be, and they're getting the results they want and living the life they want. What I would say is again, and it's not, it's not to me about whether uh, I don't look at foods as good or bad, healthy and unhealthy. What I say is, let's, let's say, is it real food and does it work for you? That's generally where we want to be. So mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a Churchill quote that I like that is, 
no matter how beautiful the strategy, we should occasionally look at the results. So let's just <laughs> say that we said to somebody, you know, you're all good as long as you have that, you know, thing about a little thing of ice cream when you come home from work. But let's also say that that person has a BMI of 34, they're quite obese, and they've been trying to lose, you know, X amount of weight for a long time. They have, they are not progressing. They haven't had success. It's been the struggle bus. Um, what we, what I would say is, we'd have to say, is that working? And it's something that we may need to evaluate. So. You know, because what can happen is that bowl of ice cream can turn into a larger bowl. It can also turn into, it can also morph into other things in the similar category or other, or another ultra processed food category that drives and promotes craving, drives and promotes the overconsumption of energy through ultra processed food. Because we almost invariably, invariably are not over consuming energy as in calories from real food. So ultimately, I think we really do have to Churchill quote a lot of it and, and look at it, you know, uh, it's hard to square up with the mirror of truth. As I say, you, to, you know, you square up with that mirror and say, is this working for me? I know I've heard from people that I should just have a little bit and stop, but am I, is it working for what my goals are for me? Not what Dave Greenwald's goals are for me, but what my goals mm -hmm. are for me. Am I progressing toward the healthy weight, the healthy weight? Am I living at the weight that I want to live? Am I living the behaviors in the body, having the life that I want. If so, awesome. Then I'm totally on board. I have zero judgment, even zero negative um, about having, you know, that bowl of ice cream when you come home from work. But we want to look at every behavior if we're not progressing or we've struggled and continue to struggle. Fair enough. Look in the mirror, not to the right or the left. I think it's, I think it's all individualized. I think what you're doing is great. Um, and anything that moves the marker for people and the health in the right direction is, is, is such a reward, I imagine, for you uh, to see your clients do well and to become healthier and live, live a life where they can move, live a life of longevity and being able to do what they want to do. I mean, that's what we all want in the end, I think, is just to be able to move with our grandchildren, get up the flight of stairs, look decently as we age. Longevity is it's, it's important to all of us. And it does come in different packages. I understand that. But uh, what you're doing, I think, is is wonderful for people. How would people get in touch with you if they're interested in speaking with you or looking at your program? Sure. Um, the easiest thing is, you know, the name of the program is Leanness Lifestyle University because we're education-based. Yeah, 23 years ago, had I known I would be continuing on and be just as, just as motivated and excited about helping people as I was then because I really just have, have and and have had this tremendous passion. Had I known that I'd be doing this, you know, as long as I am going to um, and plan on doing it another 20, 30, 40 years, whatever, um, I might've uh, shortened the name. But anyway, it is Linus Lifestyle University. So the website is shortened and that's where I would just suggest everyone go. And that is lluniversity.com. And we will definitely have that in the show notes. David, such a pleasure talking to you. Uh, the conversation was just so flowing. It was wonderful. I, I really thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's really been an honor. Everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub.
You have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.